this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN Journal Club presentation. I'm your host, Christian Kroll, an emergency medicine and ICU pharmacist at the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics. To view this recorded presentation, head to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at ACCP EMED PRN. And for PRN members, slides can be found under the business document section on the ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN website. Hello, and thank you for joining me on today's Journal Club. My name is Katherine Tran, and I'm a PGY2 EM Pharmacy resident at Memorial Medical Center. And today I will be going over the pro-COAG trial. In this brief presentation, I hope to introduce the pathophysiology and challenges of trauma-induced coagulopathy, review guidelines and current literature, and lastly discuss the role of the study and its implications in therapy. Here's a list of abbreviations that you may see within this presentation. Some key niche abbreviations to point out include ABC or assessment of blood consumption. This is a three-point scoring tool that is calculated based on three factors, systolic blood pressure less than or equal to 90, heart rate greater or equal to 120, and positive fat. ISS stands for Injury Severity Score. This is a standardized scoring for severity of traumatic injury based on the worst injury of the six body systems, head, neck, face, chest, abdomen, extremities, and external injuries. Lastly, we have PTR. This is prothrombin time ratio. This is the European equivalent to our use of INR. As the primary article was studied in France, there will be a few references to our European guidelines and metrics. So despite the implementation of many preventative measures, trauma remains a leading cause of death in adults. A major component of mortality in trauma is hemorrhage. What makes management difficult is the additional complexity of trauma-induced coagulopathy, or TIC for short. Although the mechanisms behind this is not yet fully elucidated, the current theory is that there's two phases of multifactorial biochemical responses. In early phase, this is where mortality is the highest. Initially, the body attempts to correct for hypoperfusion and hypocoagulation. Tissue injury triggers multiple pathways, including platelet activation, coagulation cascade, as well as fibrin and plasmin regulation. In severe trauma or extensive tissue damage, this coagulation is no longer enough to compensate for the severe hemorrhage. Hemorrhage can lead to hypoxia and hypoperfusion, which can further exacerbate the coagulopathy through acidosis and hypothermia. In addition, running massive infusions of crystalloids can cause further dilution of coagulation factors, while transfusions with cold fluids can further exacerbate hypothermia. This combination of coagulopathy, acidosis, and hypothermia can create a cyclic pattern of demise known as the lethal triad. To further complicate this picture, as trauma and hypoperfusion progresses, there is a slow clearance of thrombin and an increasing consumption of factors. This causes a feedback mechanism of hyperfibrinolysis that's seen in late-phase trauma-induced coagulopathy. The conversion between these two phases can occur anywhere within the 6-24 hour mark. In terms of guidelines on how to manage trauma, we have two very similar guidelines, the EAST guideline that is utilized in the U.S. and the Task Force for Advanced Bleeding Care that is utilized in the EU. Both guidelines promote damage control resuscitation with slight differences on recommendations for blood product ratio. They also adopt the utilization of TXA and share a similar little support for the use of recombinant factor 7. However, there is no mention of four-factor PCC in either of these guidelines, especially in the context outside of its use in reversal of anticoagulation therapy. So looking at previous literature, we see that 
there may be possibility for some use of four-factor PCC within across multiple studies that show some potential benefits. Two of the earlier studies show potential benefit of the use of combination of coagulation factor supplementation with FFP so much that the RETIC study had to be terminated early due to greater need of rescue therapy in the FFP-only group. In the later two studies, these were done around the time of the publications of the current guideline, so they have the adoption of some of the current recommendations, including optimal blood product ratio utilization and the standardization of use of TXA. Here they show that there are some benefits with the combination with showing that there is a benefit of accelerated INR correction with mortality benefit and no difference in safety. Some interesting things to note was that in the earlier studies, Shaw and Reddick, they included the use of thromboelastometry to guide factor repletion. However, the use of thromboelastometry may or may not be easily accessible for most hospitals, and this can limit the application of the results. In the later two studies, factor repletion was deemed clinically indicated for patients with an INR greater than 1.5. This is what they set as their cutoff and used as their definition for trauma-induced coagulopathy. In terms of looking at the individual agents in question, you'll see that FFP and four-factor PCC share similar factors, although the concentrations of these factors may differ, with FFP having similar proteins additionally to the composition of blood. They both have similar duration and half-line due to its factor composition and similar adverse reaction risk, with some key caveats showing such as the larger volume and necessary thaw time in FFP. So this brings us to the question of the pro-coag study. Does four-factor PCC have a role in trauma patients at risk for massive transfusion compared to FFP alone? This study was a multi-center, double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized superiority trial that ran from December 2017 to August 31st of 2021. It occurred at 12 to level 1 trauma centers across France. Patients in this study were given standard of care, which included restricted food resuscitation, blood products, TXA, and fibrinogen and platelets as needed. The study group was given four-factor PCC, and the control group was given NS. They were monitored hourly until the six-hour post-admission mark, and their PTR was measured uh, additionally at the 12- and 24-hour mark. Additionally, they were also monitored at the 28-day follow-up. In terms of primary outcome, they chose to base it on the total number of blood products consumed within the first 24 hours in Trauma Bay. In terms of secondary outcomes, they looked at the components of these blood products consumed, as well as time to PTR less than 1.5, which they deemed as severe acute traumatic coagulopathy. They also looked at time to hemorrhage control, 24-hour and 28-day mortality, as well as days free from ICU, ventilator, and hospitalization. They also looked at GOS extended score at the 28-day mark, and this is equivalent to GCS extended for patients that have brain injury on a mission. In terms of safety, they looked at atrial or venous thromboembolic events through recorded through the 28 days, and they did this through passive surveillance to reduce radiation. If there was a patient with suspicion, the suspicion was confirmed via ultrasound or and use of contract CT.
In terms of statistics, the sample size was based on the one-year data from the Northern French Alps Registry that estimated a use of about 12 units of blood products within 24 hours. They marked reduction of three units per 24 hour or 25% reduction of blood products used in 24 hours as clinically significant. The sample size calculation was based on a bilateral Mann-Whitney test. Here, they calculated a minimum sample size of 162 patients per group that was needed to produce 80% power. To compensate for potential loss to follow-up, they rounded this number up to 350. Both intent to treat and per protocol analysis were performed, and further statistical analysis were done as appropriate. For study criteria, patients were included if they were adults that were greater than 18 years old, if they had trauma and they were directly admitted from the scene of injury, and if they were at risk for massive transfusion. At risk here was defined as receiving one unit of RBCs transfused during pre-hospital or getting one unit within the hour and having an ABC greater than two, or but depending on the attending physician's clinical evaluation. Massive dish transfusion here was defined as more than or equal to three units of RBCs received within the first hour, or more than equal to 10 units of RBCs within the first 24 hours. Patients were excluded if they had cardiac arrest, if they had devastating injuries, expected to die within the first hour, transfer from another facility, prior to admission anticoagulation, in another trial, or if they were part of a protected group that was unable to consent. Of the 4,313 patients screened, 350 were deemed eligible. Of these, 327 were randomized with 165 going into the four-factor PCC group and 162 in the placebo group. Both intent to treat and per protocol groups were analyzed for all outcomes. Looking at baseline characteristics, majority of the patients in this population were 30 to 50-year-old males with blood force trauma. And in their pre-hospital care, most factors were similar with some noted difference of greater percentage of TXA infusion, as well as lower systolic blood pressures that was seen in the placebo group. In terms of admission findings, they were mostly similar across the two groups with a slightly longer time to starting FFP in the placebo group. However, something interesting to note is none of the, these baseline characteristics were also evaluated for statistical significance. In terms of primary outcome of blood product consumption between the four-factor PCC group and placebo-only group, there was no significant difference in the total use or in the use of any of their components. Of note, these were the intent to treat analysis results and patients who died within the first hour of arrival were also included in this analysis. In terms of secondary outcome, looking at the effects of four-factor PCC combination with FFP and its effect on PTR, initially looking at this graph, it shows that there is no statistical significance between the two groups as the confidence interval crosses over one another, and it has a mixed effect a linear regression of with a p-value of 0.14. However, some interesting things to note is that here they define acute traumatic coagulopathy at PTR greater than 1.2 and severe acute traumatic coagulopathy at PTR greater than 1.5. This PTR greater than 1.5 mark is where they deem massive transfusion is likely necessary. Notice here that the median PTR of the intentive treat group is actually less than 1.5. This shows that majority of their patients were not in the severe coagulopathy group at initial presentation. And when looking at the numbers of patients that have actually fell within the severe group, it only accounts for 25% of the study population. 
Additionally, we see that there is a marked decrease in PTR for the F four-factor PCC group with a rebound increase around the 6 to 12 hour mark. This may be a better correlation and indication of the true effects of four-factor PCC on PTR as it typically lasts around 6 to 8 hour duration. Furthermore, we see an interesting rebound in both groups at the 12 to 24 hour mark, and this may be due to hypercoagulopathy, state of late, late phase and uh, traumatic induced coagulopathy, as we it is, it is seen in both groups. Looking at secondary outcomes, there is no difference in mortality, time to hematostasis, and SPO or prognosis metrics. <laughs> In regards to safety, however, there is a marked increase in thromboembolic events where it's significantly higher in the four-factor PCC group. When looking closer at the massive transfusion subgroup, we see a greater lack of difference of the use of blood products utilized, as well as its effect on PTR, as we see a greater crossover of the confidence interval. However, this is a vastly smaller subpopulation, only accounting for 25% of the study population. Additionally, we again see a significant increase in VTE occurrences in the four-factor PCC group. For this study, the author concluded that there is no benefit of four-factor PCC in this patient population with additional harm of VTE occurrences. The data was similar in both the intent to treat and the per-protocol, as well as the massive transfusion subgroup. In analyzing the study, some limitations to keep in mind were that the study administrated four-factor PCC with FFP without guidance of prior thromboelastometry analysis, and this could potentially be a concern as it could expose patients without underlying coagulopathy to additional coagulation risk. Additionally, the primary outcome of the 24-hour blood product use is not particularly useful for its patient-centered outcome. Although it's theorized to have clinical benefits of reduced organ failure risk, this does not directly correlate to mortality benefits. Additionally, there is also a difference in baseline characteristics and time of standard of care given. Although these differences were reported, the author did not include statistical analysis on these baseline characteristics. This could potentially have confounding factors on the severity of patients as well as the efficacy of treatment. In terms of validity, strengths of this study included that it had both a detent-to-treat and a per-protocol analysis. Additionally, the study was done at level one trauma centers, which is appropriate as it is as it is evaluating the intervention at the most optimal level of care. However, some weaknesses of it included the lack of reporting for statistical analysis of baseline characteristics. There's no adequate clinical evidence to support the clinical significance of a 25% reduction or three-unit reduction um, that was utilized for the power analysis. They also utilized CanadoCAD for their four-factor PCC, which is only available in Europe, and therefore there may be some difference in factor distribution and it may not be easily generalized to our use of case center in the U.S., this is also not generalizable to pediatrics or lower level trauma centers or even smaller community hospitals that may require transfer to a higher level of care. Compared to previous studies, one major difference is that this study included patients with at, that were at risk, which they defined by the time to first transfusion. This differs from the previous studies that set the inclusion criteria with an INR greater than 1.5, which in this study would be equivalent to a PTR greater than 1.5. This can have a major impact on the relevance of the study as results as the patients in the study were less were likely to be less severe compared to other study. 
Another difference compared was that compared to previous study, the ISS scoring is higher in this patient population. Despite having a higher ISS, only 25% of this population were in the PTR greater than 1.5. So this would indicate either that the study population had less profound coagulopathy despite having higher injury severity or potentially greater deaths, including excluding them from the PTR analysis or uh, versus like surgical stopping up the bleed earlier and leading to less product blood product needed. There is no difference in the time spent in the first 24 hour between the two groups and with the mean and uh, standard deviation of 24 hours, but there is no difference in death within 24 hours reported that makes the results harder interp to interpret and questionable data analysis. There's also a greater need for surgical intervention compared to previous studies, but no report on how many patients actually got surgical intervention. And time to surgical intervention was also longer in this population than previous studies. This could have negatively affected the result as greater time to source control of bleed can equal to a long time in acute coagulopathy. In regards to safety evaluation, there is a questionable effect of VTE effects as their study methods fails to account for the prothrombic state in trauma. Due to the virtual triad, patients in trauma are usually at a higher baseline risk for VTE. In the study, VTE prophylaxis was not monitored and it was left for physician discretion. And depending on how soon they restarted prophylaxis and whether the amount of prophylaxis was appropriate, that could affect the VTE outcomes. Additionally, these adverse effects were recorded for for any event within 28 days. Half-life of four-factor PCC is around the 60-hour mark, and full clearance was anticipated to be about 12 hours post-initiation. So without further clarification and without control, it's hard to determine how true this increase in VTE events actually was. So my interpretation of the study is that overall, four-factor PCC can initially decrease PTR, in our case, INR, but this decrease does not reflect in any sustained clinical benefit. It does not reduce the need for blood products. It does not reduce the time for hematosis, does not diminish the need for transfusion or decrease mortality. It also doesn't improve discharge disposition or prognosis. And conversely, although it may be associated with increased thrombosis, given our considerations, further research would be needed to confirm this. Overall, though, there is no benefits in patients without marked coagulopathy or factor deficiency, as most of the patients in the study only had a PTR about 1.2 to 1.3. So that concludes my presentation. I also would like to make a special thanks to my preceptors, Courtney Macon, Lance Chirillo, and Patrick Leung. If you have any questions, I can take them at this time. If you have enjoyed this presentation content and would like to hear more, subscribe via your favorite podcasting app. Additionally, make sure to check out our YouTube page for all recorded presentations. Thank you for listening to this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine Journal Club presentation. Join us weekly for review and discussion of new journal articles in emergency medicine. This podcast provides general information only and does not offer individualized medical or professional health care services, including pharmaceutical advice. The contents and materials in the podcast are not intended to be a substitute for inpatient pharmaceutical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the use of the contents and materials in the podcast does not constitute a pharmacist-patient relationship.
As a result, the information in and materials linked to this podcast are applied at the user or patient's own risk. Users or patients should consult their physician or personal healthcare professional. The user or patient should not ignore or delay seeking care because of something they heard on this podcast. In case of an emergency, the user or patient should contact their physician, call 911, or go to the nearest medical emergency facility. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guest and should not be interpreted to reflect the official position or policy of ACCP or the Emergency Medicine PRN.